Well, what a wonderful evening this is. I, I, I wish we could do this every Friday night. Uh, just come together as believers in the Lord and to sing and to sit under the Word of God and to enjoy fellowship with one another. Uh, this has been a wonderful conference already and now this evening as we've filled this room with our worship to God and I know that you are uh, eager to look into the Word of God with me. The theme of this conference is false prophets and true prosperity. And as I was sitting in the United States and anticipating coming here, I sent an email to Tim Cantrell, who is our host, and asked, so what passage do you think would work out best for an evening like this? And he directed me to a a passage that I, I want to preach to you tonight, okay? If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and the title of this message is Sheep in Wolves' Clothing. Matthew chapter 7, and I want to begin reading in verse 13, and I'm going to read down to about verse 23, and we'll see how quickly we move through this, or slowly, how many verses we'll, we'll take in, but... I want to read the passage that will be the focus of our exposition tonight and our time together in the Word of God. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will come, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In these verses, Jesus warns about false teachers who deceive many and turn them away from the way of salvation. They are ravenous wolves, Jesus said, who seek to devour the flock. 
They are bad trees that produce bad fruit that is rotten and poisonous. They are charlatans who stand right next to the narrow gate and try to detour people through the broad gate that leads to destruction. These false teachers are the means by which untold multitudes are consigned to the flames of hell. They are religious con men of the highest order who deceive countless people into their everlasting destruction. As Jesus issues this this warning, it comes at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached by himself, who is the greatest preacher who, who ever lived. And everything that he has said in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, is now all brought down to the bottom line conclusion. And what I have just read to you finds itself in the climactic position. Everything that he has said has led to these very words. And these are the last words of this sermon. And last words should be lasting words and should ring in our ears. As Jesus says this, these are among the most shocking words that the Lord Jesus Christ has ever spoken, if not the most shocking words. And lest any here tonight think that we have overstated our concern regarding the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, consider well these words by the Lord Jesus Christ. As we walk through this passage, I want to set several headings before you. And I want you to note first, at the beginning of verse 13, the command. Uh, Because this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount concludes with a command. It is these few words, enter through the narrow gate. I want to take these words one at a time. First is the word, enter. This is an imperative command that that Jesus is issuing to everyone who is under His voice. It It is issued to everyone here tonight. He is saying, don't merely study this gate. Do not merely admire this gate. Do not merely ponder this gate. Do not be merely close to this gate. It's not enough that you see others go through this gate. It's not enough to sing about this gate. It's not enough to uh, play near this gate. It's not enough to have your toes right up to this gate. Jesus says, you must enter. Enter, note the next word, through. You've got to take a decisive step of faith and come through this narrow gate. You've got to get all the way through the gate. It's not enough to be, as I said earlier, with your toes right up to it. You must enter through the narrow gate. And it presupposes that every one of us, when we were born into this world, were born outside the gate. We, were, we came into this world on the outside... And there must come a time in your life when you enter through, note the next word, the. The narrow gate. The one and only 
narrow gate. Not a narrow gate as if there are 10 or 12 of these around the kingdom of God that become points of entry. No, there is only one. It is narrow because there is only room for you to pass through one at a time. Uh, You can't come through in a group. Uh, It must be very personal. It must be very individual. And you're going to have to leave your baggage behind. Uh, You just can't bring it through this narrow gate. It will not fit through. And because it is narrow, some are kept out. And because they do not enter properly through the gate. uh, And then the word gate. This is the opening that leads into the kingdom of God. And this gate is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And Jesus said in John 10, verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. And in John 10, verse 9, He said, I am the door. If anyone enters through Me, he will be saved. This command is abundantly clear that there must be a time in every person's life, a defining moment in which they come to this narrow gate, and but with a decisive step of faith in which they entrust themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, they enter through the narrow gate and come into the kingdom of heaven. Before I go any further, I want to ask you this question. Not are you in church, and not are you in a Bible study, not are you in a group, But has there ever come this time in your life when you have consciously, purposely, intentionally taken this step of faith and come all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ and have come all the way through the narrow gate? Now you'll note in verse 14, he gives an explanation why you must enter through this narrow gate. And we're still under the command. He says in verse 14, for, the word for introduces an explanation. For the gate is small. That is to say it's hard to find. That is to say it's hard to enter. That is to say you don't just stumble through this gate accidentally. In Luke 13, verse 23, Jesus in a parallel passage says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. It's a Greek word, agonizomai, from which we derive the English word agonize. Uh, You must agonize with repentance and faith to enter through the narrow gate. He says, for the gate is small. And note what's next in verse 14. And the way is Narrow. Please note that the small, narrow gate can only lead down the narrow way. You can't go through the narrow gate and then walk the broad road. It's a narrow gate, narrow way, broad gate, broad path. So if you'd like to know which gate you've gone through, it's very simple. Which path are you walking? Because those who go through the narrow gate go through the narrow way. Why is it narrow? 
Because it's very carefully defined. It has moral boundaries. It has spiritual restrictions. This word narrow means tight or confining. And the idea is, when you go through the narrow gate, you can't just live however you want to live. Uh, you, You can't say, well, I'm saved by grace. It doesn't matter how I live. That's fool's talk. If you go through the narrow gate, there's only one path you may take. And that goes down the the narrow way in which there are Bible commandments and there are biblical principles and there is a confining in the way that we live. In other words, justification and sanctification are inseparably bound together. He then goes on to say, For the gate is small and the way is narrow. It's narrow. It is the hard way. There is opposition. There is resistance. There is persecution. There is spiritual warfare. There is cross-bearing. There is self-denial. But note, it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. It leads to life with God forever in His very presence. And without being on this way, you don't have life. You just have a mere empty, hollow existence. And without being on this way, you're spiritually dead. Uh, You have no life. But this way alone leads to life. And he says, and there are few who find it. Few, not many, few. Jesus identified believers in his day as my little flock, my micro flock. And in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, Jesus said, few are chosen. And in Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, God says, you must search for me with all your heart. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek the Lord, while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. This is where this passage begins with this command. And this is the decisive step that everyone in this room must make. There must be a time in your life when you come to the intersection, when you hear the gospel, where you choose to turn away from your sin and turn away from the world and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and entrust yourself to His saving arms and take that final step of faith and you enter in and you come through the narrow gate and you are now on the narrow road that leads to life. This is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gate is swung open this very hour. The gates of paradise are swung open. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus says, He who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So if you've never come to Christ, come to Him tonight. Tonight, take that step of faith and entrust your life to His saving arms, and you will be headed to glory, and you will be headed to life. So, that's the command. Let's continue to work our way now through this passage. 
Because I want you to note, second, the caution. In the middle of verse 13, we see the caution. Because we see how easy it is to fail to enter through the narrow gate. And the reason why is there's another gate. There's another gate right next to it. There's another gate just down the block. It's at another church. It's at another preacher. It's another message. It's just right next to it. And if you're not careful, you're going to go through the wrong gate. Now here's what's so deceiving. They both say heaven over the door. It's just they both don't go there. Only one goes to life. The other goes to destruction. This is the caution. So note what he says in the middle of verse 13. For the gate is wide. This other gate is unlike the first gate. The first gate is narrow and it's hard to find. You have to search for it with all your heart. You have to seek the Lord while He may be found. But this gate, this gate's easy to find. It's in every bookstore in town. It's on the television. It's on radio. It's everywhere. And they're in big buildings. And they are in big churches. It's a, it's a wide gate. It's easily found. You don't have to search for it. Just open your eyes. There it is. Just open your ears. There it is. It is easily seen. And what is worse, it's easily entered. It's so wide that you can come just as you are. You can stumble through it. It has easy access It's the gospel of the wide gate. There's no soul searching. There's no self-denial. There's no cross-bearing. There's no death to self. There's no repentance. There's no submission. And you can come through with the crowd. Uh, You don't have to... This doesn't have to be personal. And you can bring your baggage with you. There's no life change. Uh, There is nothing narrowly defined. And what is so deadly about this gate is that it is so deceiving. Uh, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the end of death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. No one would be so foolish to walk up to a gate that has a sign that says hell and says, that's what I want. I want to go to hell. I want to go to hell forever. I don't want to ever get out of hell. No, no one would be that foolish. The only way that you can end up in hell is to walk up to a gate that says heaven. But when you walk through that gate, it doesn't lead to heaven. It leads to hell. Notice what it says before you get to hell. You go through the wide gate, and then it says the way is broad. And the way here refers to 
a person's course of life, to the, to the direction of their life, uh, a lifestyle, if you will. And the way is broad, meaning it'll accommodate whatever lifestyle you want to have. will make you feel very good right there in the way that you live. It's the easy way. It's the self-indulgent way. Your flesh is very happy on the broad way. It's the permissive way. It's the worldly way. There's no counting the cost. There's no self-denial. There's no willingness to have to submit or surrender your life to a, to a new master. There's no humility needed. There's no lowliness of mind needed. Instead, you get to dictate to God. You can tell God what you want God to do for you. And everything revolves around you, not around God. It revolves around you. You will feel so fulfilled, and you will feel so happy. You can be rich, you can be healthy, you can be successful, you can be prosperous. It will feed your ego. But notice where it leads. It doesn't lead where the man says it will lead. It leads, it says, to destruction. Present destruction and eternal destruction. And the word destruction here means total ruin and the complete loss of well-being. That's where this wide road leads, where the broad gate leads. It leads to utter destruction. And here is another reason why it is so deceiving. It says, and many are those who enter through it. It must be right. It's the biggest church. It's the biggest ministry. It's got the widest outreach. It's got more, it's got more support partners than anyone else. It, it, it has the many. And here is the caution. Because it is a damning message of easy believism and cheap grace. And there are untold millions upon millions, upon millions, upon millions, upon millions, up into maybe the billions, who have been swept through this broad gate because it promises everything that your sinful flesh wants and lusts for and longs for. It promises to give that and it allows you to live however you want to live without any restraints, without any restrictions, but it leads to everlasting hell. Do you know people who have gone through this broad gate? Do you know people tonight who are on this broad road? Could it be possible that even you tonight would find yourself on this broad road? Well, this leads to number three. Not only the command and the caution, but please note now the charlatans. Beginning in verse 15, 
we see why it is so easily accessed to go through the broad gate. Because there are false teachers flagging people away from the narrow gate and through the broad gate. So we read in verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets. These false prophets are standing right between these two gates. And they are doing everything they can to coax people to come through the broad gate. Jesus says, beware. Be on the alert. Uh, Be on watch. Be on guard. Because they sound so good. And they sound so reasonable. And they sound so religious. And they sound so biblical. That is the deception. Beware of the false prophets. These are those who preach the gospel of the broad gate. They are religious charlatans. They are bogus believers. They are sham shepherds. They are spiritual hucksters. They are pseudo-deceivers. And they are very good at spinning their sentences and twirling it around your imagination and drawing you into the fool's gold that they offer. Beware of the false prophets, Jesus said. They tickle ears. They tell people what they want to hear. That is why they're so good. They know what you want. They know what your flesh wants. They know what your base instincts want. Your lower motives. Your sinful motives. And they are very good at selling you what the sin nature wants. What do people want? They want to be rich. They want to be healthy. They want to be successful. They want to be prosperous. So, that is what they sell. They do not sell repentance. They don't sell self-denial. They don't sell cross-bearing. That's too hard. No, they sell what you want to buy in and of yourself, and they are very good at saying absolutely nothing. They know how to fill the building, they just never fill the pulpit. They preach self-indulgence. They preach They preach success. They preach prosperity, but never poverty of spirit. They preach cash-making, but never cross-bearing. Note, who come to you in sheep's clothing. They blend in with the sheep. They look like the sheep. They talk like the sheep. They talk about God. They, 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 they talk about Christ. They talk about the Bible. They have this external religious appearance They are deceivers. They are masqueraders. They are imposters. 
as they come to you in sheep's clothing. They hold a Bible in their hand. They dress like the rest of the sheep. They use the vocabulary. They use the coinage. They just have different meanings to the words that the Scripture use. And it's not always what they say, it is what they do not say that is so dangerous. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly. In other words, down beneath the surface, behind the sheep's clothing, their inner heart motives, their, their, their deep heart desires, inwardly, their, their character, Jesus said, they are ravenous wolves. And that means they are devouring. They are preying upon. And they consume what other people have. They want what you have. And they're so good at this con game, they tell you, you need to give your money to me. So you can have a lot of money. What fool would fall for that? <laughs> you give me your money so you can have a lot of money. I would go, no, 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 wait a minute. It goes the other way around. If you want a lot of money, preacher, you give me your money. Then you'll have a lot of money. But they are so shrewd. They are so cunning. They are so beguiling. They speak with a forked tongue. They can sell ice cubes to Eskimos. They are very, very good at their shell game. And they inwardly are ravenous wolves because they want to get into your pocketbook. They want to get into whatever it is you own and whatever you have so that they can have it and they can have a platform for fame that will fill their pride and feed their pride and build them up and give them this great visibility and they will do it all because you will bankroll them. They are ravenous wolves who are on the prowl looking for gullible prey. Note verse 16. And I would remind you, this is Jesus talking. You will know them. You will spot them. You will detect them by their fruits. And Jesus will go on to explain that in the next verses. What is this fruit? This fruit refers to their inward character, and it refers to their outward converts. Their character and their converts. And you'll know them by their fruit. Just look and see who's following them. Look and see who's sitting at their feet. Because it is their worldly message that produces worldly followers and feeds worldly followers and pampers worldly lifestyles. Look at their character. They fly on private jets. They live in luxurious mansions. They wear extravagant jewelry. Look at their character. Look at their converts. 
Look and see who's following. Now, Jesus calls them hypocrites who shut off the kingdom of heaven and they themselves do not enter in. Jesus calls them blind leaders of the blind, meaning they have no idea the way to heaven and those who follow them have no idea the way to heaven. They are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. They are a brood of vipers who will not escape the sentence of hell. They are thieves and robbers, Jesus said, who come to steal and kill and destroy. They are hired hands, not true shepherds. Even to the end of the age, Jesus said, many false prophets, not a few, many shall arise and will mislead many. This word many runs all through the Matthew 7 passage. And Jesus went on to say, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. It'll be a charismatic movement. Signs and and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That's how convincing they are. Because were it not for the sovereign grace of God and His preserving grace, even the elect themselves would buy in to this parade of miracles and signs and wonders that they claim to be performing. Look again at verse 16. You've got Matthew 7 open in front of you. Jesus says, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, are they? And the point is, there is a consistency between the seed and the plant, between the root and the fruit. There is an absolute consistency. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, that nor do figs come from thistles, do they? It's a rhetorical question. The, the answer is so obvious. Jesus does not even bother to, to answer this question because it is clear to any thinking person who has two brain cells that are touching between their ears, which is not everyone, <laughs> that there is a perfect consistency between the plant and the fruit, between the person and the character and the converts. So he says in verse 17, he just goes ahead and spells it out. So every good tree, there there are no exceptions to this, every good tree bears good fruit. Every true believer will bear good fruit. And every true preacher of the Word of God will bear good fruit in his life and in the life of those who follow, because he preaches the Word of God. But, the middle of verse 17, but the bad tree, referring to these false teachers, in verse 15, but the bad trees, they bear bad fruit. And there are no exceptions to this, because a fundamental principle of life is, Like produces like. 
Watermelon seeds do not produce orange trees. It is a good tree that produces good fruit. And so he says in verse 18, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a good tree produce bad fruit. In other words, there is nothing good that comes from the false prophet. Not in his life, not in the life of those who attach themselves to the false prophet. Verse 18 could not be any more clear, nor can a bad tree, that's the false prophet, produce good fruit, that's godly character, and godly converts their message. Cannot restrain their own flesh, which is why they continually fall into adultery, which is why they live in wanton pleasure, which is why they exceed Christian liberties and live such a a lifestyle of worldliness, why they love money, their message cannot control even their own flesh. And it cannot control their own lifestyle. They're out of control. And so it is with those who follow them, and the closer they draw to that message, the more it produces bad, rotten, poisonous fruit in their lives. It's more than just a building. It's a building full of rotten fruit. Verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, every preacher, every teacher, every shepherd that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And that would be by God Himself. Is cut down and thrown into the fire Because God alone has power and authority to destroy both body and soul in hell forever. This fire at the end of verse 19 is the unquenchable fire. It is the fire of the lake of fire and brimstone. It is the destruction mentioned in verse 13. It is the the great separation in verse 23. It is the great fall of verse 27. So verse 20. So then, bottom line, regarding these charlatans, regarding these false teachers, you will know them. Not by the size of their crowd, Not by the size of their buildings. Not by the size of their budgets. Not by the size of their followers. Not by the size of their ministries. But you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their character. And you will know them by their converts. The book of Jude... Jude refers to them in graphic terms. 
They are unreasoning animals. Quote, unquote. With animal instincts on the prowl to devour. They are hidden reefs who sink and submerge innocent lives. They are clouds without water, Jude says. Meaning, they sound promising. They look promising. But they deliver nothing of any reality. They are trees without fruit. They are unproductive in spiritual things. They are doubly dead. There is no spiritual life. They are uprooted. They are wild ways of the sea with dirty foam on the surface. They are wandering stars, meaning they mislead people away from the way they should go. They follow after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly. They are flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Quote, unquote. They butter you up. They tickle your ears. They slap your back. They grease your palms so that they can take for their own advantage. And they do it in the name of the Lord. I want to tell you the hottest part of hell is reserved for these charlatans who deceive others. And it would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck and to be cast into the deepest sea than for them to continue to influence these others. And Paul says, if any man preach another gospel, let him be damned. Let him be accursed. Now I want you to note next the counterfeits. Beginning in verse 21, the counterfeits. Because Jesus shows what kind of followers they produce. Here is, in part, the bad fruit from the bad tree. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, they know the name of the Lord and they think that they know the Lord because they have been under this false prophet's teaching. They they assume that they are in the kingdom and here they cry out, "Lord, Lord," as though they, "Lord, Lord, you know me. You know me. I was in so and so's church. I was in so and so's ministry." They profess Christ but they do not possess Christ. What they possess is not Christ. What they possess is a false assurance of a salvation that they do not have. That is, that is a, a, a deadly place to be where you think that you are saved and you think when you die you will wake up in heaven, but When you die, you wake up in hell and then find yourself at the judgment on the last day. And it is too late then. And they are crying out, Lord, Lord, you know me, I knew you. But Jesus says, "Not not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
There is an identifying mark of the true believer. And it is the one who has a changed life. It is the one who has an obedient life. A one who has a submissive heart. One who has a humble spirit. Jesus spoke about them at the beginning of this sermon. In Matthew 5, beginning in verse 3, when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the ones who are in the kingdom. Those who see their own spiritual poverty and declare spiritual bankruptcy before Almighty God and weep and mourn in repentance over their, their, their bankruptcy and humble themselves in meekness and seek a righteousness and hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only God can give. These are those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is not saying that salvation is by obedience, but it is saying that salvation produces obedience, and salvation is proven by obedience. No obedience, no salvation. Jesus says in verse 22, many, not a few, Many, and it's the same many of verse 13, the many who go through the broad gate, the many who are on the broad path, the many who are headed for destruction. Verse 22, many, these many, will say to me on that day, what day? The last day, the final day. Lord, Lord, most of them will have already been in hell. For who knows how many centuries, still convinced that they're saved and that the Lord has made a mistake somehow. And at the great white throne judgment, when they are resurrected out of hell to stand before the great white throne judgment, they still think that they can convince the Lord that I am one of yours. And so here they are, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, still clinging to their false testimony, still clinging to their dead confession of faith in Christ. Oh, they've been sold a bill of goods by these false prophets who have flagged them through the broad gate. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now, note the next three things. This is going on in spades in the prosperity gospel movement. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not claim that God is talking to me with an audible voice, and that I am now standing up in a meeting and saying to others with a prophecy what God has said to me to say to this group? Do I not have the gift of prophecy? Did I not prophesy in your name? Wasn't I a mouthpiece for you? Yeah, you may have been hearing voices. 
And it wasn't God's voice. It was from another source. And in your name, cast out demons at the end of the service. Now, everyone who wants deliverance, just come on down to the front and we're going to deliver you from your poverty. And we're going we're to cast out that demon of loneliness from you. No, thank you, I'll just stay lonely. <laughs> we'll give you your deliverance. That's what's holding you back. And in your name, cast out demons. That's your problem. Let me tell you, these people are delusional. They were not casting out demons. They were not prophesying in the Lord's name. Is it any wonder they were delusional about their own salvation? They are self-deceived across the board, top to bottom, north to south, east to west. They are self-deceived about everything. They are living a a religious charade. They are self-deceived about their own salvation. They are self-deceived about prophesying. They are self-deceived about casting out demons. They are self-deceived about performing miracles. No one was being healed. There were no miracles being performed. It was all a religious superstition. It was all a vain imagination. And it was a part of the deception to get you to buy in to the gospel of the broad gate for you to think that you were actually saved. When in reality, the Lord will say, I never knew you. Who are you? Notice verse 23 now, the condemnation. This goes from bad to worse. This is like a bad movie. It just won't stop. In the end, this entire religious charade will be exposed as religious nonsense. And mass of hypocrisy will be removed. And sinners will stand naked before a holy God they never knew. Notice verse 23. And then, what is the then? That refers to the last day. Then at the great white throne judgment. And Then, I, Christ is the speaker, I will declare to them. Who is the them? It is the one who preached the gospel of the broad road. It is the one who claimed to be having prophecies. The one who claims to be casting out demons. The one who claims to be performing miracles. As well as those who are swept up in this movement of signs and wonders and caught up in this whole deception, Christ says, I will declare to them, them, on the broad road, I, Christ, never knew you. 
Now, I knew about you because he knows everything. The very hairs of your head are numbered. There's not a sparrow that falls apart from the Lord. But I never had a saving relationship with you. That's what the word know means, gnosko in the Greek. It means to have an intimate, personal, saving relationship. (laughs) I never knew you. Not I once knew you and then we fell apart. I never even knew you from the beginning. This entire religious trip that you were on was one big sham salvation. I never knew you. Depart from me. Get out of here. Depart from me. This is the final sentence of condemnation. Matthew 25, 41, Depart from me, accursed ones. You, the you referred to the many. You who practice, it's a lifestyle. It's a self-indulgent, fleshly, carnal lifestyle. You who claim to prophesy, you who claim to cast out demons, you who claim to perform miracles, you who claim to know me, you who practice lawlessness. That's what Christ identifies the whole mess as. It's just all lawlessness. It's all a departure from my law. It is all a departure from my word. It reminds me of what's engraved on the wall of a cathedral in Germany. Thus speaks Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and you obey me not. You call me light and you see me not. You call me the way and you walk after me not. You call me life and you live not for me. You call me wise but follow me not. You call me fair but love me not. You call me eternal but see me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. That's where this whole thing ends up. In hell. Now finally, the contrast. Verse 27. Excuse me, verse 24. Jesus concludes, and is this not one barn burner of a sermon? This is just the conclusion. Jesus concludes with this striking contrast. And one thing I love about Jesus' preaching, it's black and it's white. It's heaven and it's hell. It's salvation and it's damnation. There's no fence straddling. And so he now pushes these to the contrasting, polarized, juxtapositions And he tells us 
in verses 25, 24 and 25, one group, and in verses 26 and 27, the other group. So he says in verse 24, therefore, in other words, based upon everything that I just said to you, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, what words of mine, enter through the narrow gate. Beware of the false prophets. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, who with repentant faith and self-denial take the step of faith and enter through the narrow gate. It's clear what he's what they're acting on. is what Jesus just said to enter through the narrow gate. And acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house. He acted in faith. He acted in obedience to what the Lord required. Who built his house on the rock. And the rock is the gospel of the narrow gate. The rock is this message of salvation that Jesus has given. It is the divine revelation from God. And please note verse 25. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. This is the the final judgment, the brewing storm in heaven that is unleashed on the last day at the, at the great judgment. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it, this life built on the rock, and it did not fall. It was not swept away into hell. Why? For it had been founded on the rock. Because this one listened to the gospel of the narrow gate that leads down a narrow path, that leads to life, and was willing to travel with the few and forsake the many. And on the last day, it will be revealed that they were genuinely saved. And when they say, Lord, Lord, the Lord says, I know you. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine, you heard the truth, you heard the gospel, and does not act on them. Instead is seduced. Instead is lured away. Instead is deceived. Does not act on this, but now is persuaded by this other message of the gospel of the broad gate and the broad path will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He went through the efforts. He went to church. He took notes. He went on their little mission trip. He gave his money. He sang in the choir. He helped in the nursery. 
He went through all of the religious activity and went through all the religious effort of getting in the car and driving there and being a part of the whole scene. He will be like a foolish man. In the Greek, it is moros, from which, from which we derive the English word moron. How foolish can foolish be? For you have gambled your soul into hell. He will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Because when that gathering storm on the last day hits the sand, the one who is standing on the sand will be swept away in a tsunami of judgment and will be drowned and submerged into the lake of fire forever and ever. So verse 27 the rain fell, and the flood came. The rising tide waters of divine judgment on the last day, and the winds blew, the, the torrent of, of terror and the fury of the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I shall repay, and slammed against that house, and it fell. It came crashing down, and great was its fall. Down into eternal destruction. Down into eternal damnation. Down into eternal darkness. Why? Because they bought into the gospel of the broad gate. And they bought into the supposed prophesying and casting out and deliverance and miracles and the self-indulgence and the self-luxury and the self-flattery and the self-esteem. And there was never the gospel of the narrow gate. Where are you tonight? In a crowd this size, we would have easily many different people at different places with the Lord. But in reality, there's only two places. Jesus speaks of only two groups. The many and the few. The broad way and the narrow way. The broad gate and the narrow gate. Where are you? Look at your life. Examine yourself. Which path are you on? Because that will be an indication which gate you came through. Are you on the narrow path? Do you live by grace, within the confines, within the guardrails, within the safe protection of the commandments of the Word of God? Are they a delight to your heart? 
Do you run to them? Are they a pleasure for you? That is the indication you came through the narrow gate. Could it be here tonight that you're on the broad road? That you're just doing your own thing? That you want religion by your own terms? You want it all. You want something religious on Sunday, but you want the world Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And you want a message that would help you live for this world and live for the riches of this world and to have more. If that should describe you, I am thankful to God that you're here tonight. And I am thankful that you would be hearing this text and this message And it comes from the loving God in heaven who desires to pull you away from destruction and is pointing you to the narrow gate. And I call you this night to enter through the narrow gate. The gate is Jesus Christ. He was the virgin-born Son of God who came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. He was born under the law that He would fulfill all of the requirements of the law that You and I have broken day after day after day, and the curse of the law is upon us, for the wages of sin is death. And you have fallen short of the glory of God, but Christ has come into this world and has fulfilled the law on behalf of sinners that His perfect righteousness would be given to you by faith. And it was this sinless life that Christ lived qualified Him to go to Calvary's cross. And Him who knew no sin, God made to be sin for us. And there as He was lifted up upon that cross, He bore the sins of all those who would call upon His name. He died in the place of sinners. And with the shedding of His blood, He satisfied the righteous anger of God towards lawbreakers here upon the earth. With the shedding of His blood upon that cross, He reconciled holy God and sinful man. And through the blood of His cross, He has brought the two together. And we now can be at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And by the shedding of His blood, He has come into the slave market of this world and He has bought slaves of sin and slaves of Satan to be His own possession. And He has brought them out of the slave market by His shed blood. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And He offers salvation to sinners... Not to good people. He is a physician who has come not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. You just need to tell him how sick you are. He already knows it. You need to tell him how sinful you are. He loves sinners. He delights to take in sinners. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to walk forward. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to join uh, the choir. You, in your heart of hearts right now, call upon God quietly within your own heart. And you will find that the arm of the Lord is not so short that He cannot save. 
And he will reach down and he will draw you all the way to himself. And you will have been birthed into the kingdom of heaven. He will give you a new start. The old things passed away. New things have come. He'll wipe the slate clean. He will wash away all of your sins. Not only all the sins that you've committed to this point, but all the sins that you will ever commit for the rest of your life. They will all be taken away and canceled out. And right now, He is preparing a place in heaven for those who will come to Him And we will be with Him around His throne and in His Father's house forever and ever and ever. It's the greatest offer that's ever been extended to any person on this earth. And there are so many here tonight who have already accepted the Lord's offer of salvation and free grace. Why would you procrastinate? Why would you remain where you are? You may say, I I don't want to give up my sin. That's like a cancer patient saying, I just don't want to give up my cancer. I've, I've come to love my cancer. What? Your cancer is killing you. Your, your, your cancer is, is taking away your life. All you would give up is that which is destroying your life, and you would receive Him who is life eternal. Enter through the narrow gate. And you may never have an opportunity quite like you're having right now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. He who hears His voice must not harden his heart. Turn to the Lord and be saved. This is the gospel of the narrow gate. And Christ Himself will receive you. And He'll save you. And He will deliver you from that final day when the fury and the wrath and the vengeance of God will burst forth from heaven upon all who have trampled underfoot the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is offered to you tonight. And it is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. Tell the Lord how guilty you are. Confess your sin to Him and receive His free gift of salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you that you have sent your Son, your only Son, into this world to tell us the way of salvation, to call us to enter through the narrow gate. But more than that, that he would live a sinless life and die a substitutionary death for sinners such as you and me. Father, how we praise you for your good news and your grace and your mercy. And I pray that here tonight that any who would not be on the narrow way that leads to life 
Lord, may they enter through the narrow gate this very moment. Father, save us from the influences of the charlatans that we may hear the teaching of your true shepherds. In Jesus' name, amen.